Well, hey, good morning, church. Good to see everybody. I don't know if there's more energy. You may be right, Don. I mean, I felt energy at 345 this morning. So I know a crash is coming. I don't know when it's going to be. But the person who might fall asleep in this sermon may be me. I don't know. We'll see how, we'll see how it goes. Uh, my name is Scott Franks. I'm the preaching minister here. If we have not met yet, I look forward to meeting you. We love sharing this place. Uh, it's, a, it's a good place, as was expressed just a little bit ago when we were introducing Luca to the church family. Luca's going to be one of our song leaders, I can tell. Well, hey, if you haven't been a part of our gatherings here lately, we're in a series called A Biblical World. And what that means is we're talking about a biblical worldview. We're looking at Scripture to, from Scripture, build a, a perspective, a view of what the Bible says is reality and how to live according to that reality. I've told you before, I love what I do. I really do, and I hope that you, you know how sincere I am when I say that, because I get to open up God's Word every week and then to share with you what I've learned. I mean, what could be better than that? And in this series, as we've been going through a, a biblical world view, we've been camping out quite a bit in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, and each week, each week, I am just awed by the wisdom of Scripture. I'm just, I'm more humbled and more delighted by how wise and powerful these words are. And it's just, it's, it's so ingenious the way that in the, in the Ten Commandments, it may start with a rule so simple a, a first grader could understand it. For instance, the, the command we're going to talk about today, Exodus 20, 13, do not steal. Don't steal. So simple. But in that commandment is a seed. And as we've already learned, the goal of these commandments is not to create people who follow rules. God is after your heart. That is what the purpose of these commandments are. He's after your heart. He wants to change your heart. So these, these commandments, these are like seeds. And you plant them in your heart. And when you plant it in your heart and live it, it starts growing. And it's going to expand into aspects of, of, of how you relate to others in some surprising ways. Maybe it grows into an ethic that grows you as a person. So you plant do not steal in your heart. And you're going to grow into a bigger, better, generous blesser of others. You plant this in your heart, I'm convinced if we would plant this in our heart and let it grow and really live out this ethic, it would heal our nation. It, it would address so much of what we would say is, is going wrong, of what divides us. Now, I'll show you why I believe that today. And so as we're building this, this biblical worldview from Scripture We've learned that a biblical view sees in terms of relationships. A biblical worldview will allow you to live with a, a whole heart, a solid heart, a heart of integrity in all three of these relationships. 
And that is relationship with God and with others and with the earth. That, that to me, if I was going to sketch out a biblical worldview, that is it. It's about relationships and it's about those three relationships. And a relationship with God is the first priority. We have to be right with God to be right with everything else. Our connection with God is of first priority. So being connected to him, obedient to him, that's how we love others well. And if we don't understand what it means to love God and obey God, we're not going to be able to love others well. We just won't. And so this rule, do not steal, comes from God. I mean, it literally came from God in the Ten Commandments. he, He literally etched it with his finger, so to speak, into a stone tablet. So here's a rule that comes from God. Do not steal. He said, plant that in your heart. Now, why? Why would he give us this rule? Well, if you ask that first grader, you know, do not steal. Why should you not steal? He or she would tell you, well, stealing's not nice. It's it's wrong. We would not someone to, you know, someone else to steal our stuff. It's our stuff. It makes someone else feel bad if we stole their stuff. And that's all correct. That's all right. That's That's a good answer. But there's so much more. If we look at, at the rest of, of Scripture and what it tells us about the God who gave us that rule and told us to put that seed in our heart, if we understand that God, here's some other stuff we're going to discover about him. Deuteronomy 10, 14. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. There are many other passages that all say this. But basically, here's, here's the truth. And I'm just going to, I know this is small. Uh, it's going to be on the screen. It's going to be on your sermon notes. But I just want to leave it here because we're going to come back to it a little bit. But here's, here's the first truth that I'm going to come back and lean on when it comes to our God. And that truth about him is everything belongs to God already. And it remains his. So what that tells us is, in reality, our stuff, our possessions, whatever pieces of this world we claim... It's really his. It's always his. Never stop being his. He loans it to us. He gifts it to us. And he can take it from us at his will. So the reality is we're managers. We are stewards. And so if we are managing God's stuff, well, to be good managers, we should use it in a way that he would approve of, that would please him, that advances what's important to him. That's the first truth we're going to come back to. Here's the second truth about that God that told us do not steal. And that truth is 2 Corinthians 9, 10, and 11. He who supplies, he, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And again, many other passages I could have gone to that all say the same truth. This is the truth that's repeated often in Scripture. But basically, it is this. God is generous. Our God, who who gives us everything that we have, is a generous giver. And he can be counted on to provide. You can trust that he'll come through for you. you. You stay connected to him. You stay in obedience to him, he'll take care of you. And we're told that over and over again. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, y'all, you're worrying about so much. 
He says, look at, look at the, the birds of the air. Look at the, the, the flowers in the field. And they don't sow and they don't reap and they don't gather in barns and they're not. And yet God takes care of them. And you're worth a lot more to him than they are. So don't worry. He's going to provide for you. That the, the very birds and flowers are trying to convince you of this truth. There's a generous God who can be trusted to take care of you. So, knowing these two truths about God, I'll ask again. Why does God tell us not to steal? Well, if you think about these, now it's, it's bigger than being nice. It goes beyond how it might make someone else feel badly. Because this is about our relationship with God. This is our view of God. And when we steal, and this is going to be true of any of these commandments that we're talking about, when we violate his commands, when we oppose and we rebel the way he gave us to thrive, that, that seeps down to our core, to our soul. And it seeps through all of those relationships with others, our relationship with others and with God. And when there is rot in one part of that, it spreads. And so if we're not right with God, that rot spreads down to our relationship with others. And if we're not right with others, that's going to impact our relationship with God. We can't claim to love God but steal because it's all connected. So to be healthy, wholehearted, people of integrity, we must love God first and love others best, to love others best and to obey him, to bless those that we want to love. And that includes do not steal. Do not steal from them. And so let's, let's talk about this. And here's why I want to talk about this. This is, this is so much more then I think what we, what we typically picture when we're talking about stealing, we've got to talk about this. Because I'm convinced, I don't have, I don't have, I don't know if I could statistically prove this, but I'm just convinced we live in the era of all generations in human history, we live in the era when stealing is more common and easier than ever. Right now, somebody in a little room on the other side of the planet, someone you will never see, is working away trying to steal from you. Right now, they are trying to get into that phone. They're trying to get into that PC. They're trying to get into your account. Someone on the other side of the world who you will never see right now is trying, and many times can, Steal your identity or steal from your checking account or destroy your credit score or use you to buy something on your credit for them that you will never see. Somebody in China can buy your product and reverse engineer it and steal all of your intellectual property and start churning out those things cheaper than you can and put you out of business before you even know what happened. It happens all the time. Any student anywhere can plagiarize from almost anything that's ever been written. Any student can find something to snatch with just a click 
And there's a report. There's the test results. There's, it's so easy. Somebody can pirate your song or your movie that you poured your life and your talent into and not pay you a cent. Tax fraud, insurance fraud, fraudulent claims. You know, that the government has been shoveling billions of dollars into the economy in the name of COVID relief. You know how much of that stuff was stolen? The numbers are mind-boggling. And most of this can be done anonymously with just a few clicks on a laptop or a phone. Stealing has never been easier or more tempting, and I'm certain it's happening more than ever before. I mean, in biblical times, when, when this command was written, in biblical times, people at least had to make a little effort. They had to actually show up in person and try to physically take your stuff. They had to risk something. And now, we don't have to, we literally have to hardly lift a finger and to steal, which is why we need this commandment more than ever. Now, as with all these other commandments, as you've already, as you've already probably are anticipating, this takes us into a lot of different areas. This is more than just, you know, somebody with a ski mask breaking into a store. The stealing takes all sorts of forms. And it's addressed in all the different forms in Scripture. So I just want to show you just a little bit about, what, about where this takes us. Remember, we talked about this is like a, you follow a trail. This command, you, you, you take that trail and just kind of see where it leads. I want to show you where this trail leads in Scripture when it comes to stealing. And the, you know what the very next time stealing is mentioned after the Ten Commandments? It's actually just the very next chapter of Exodus. And what it mentions is probably surprising to you. Here's the very next time that stealing is mentioned. It's Exodus 21, 16. Whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Do not steal includes stealing humans. That's, that's slave trading. That's kidnapping and selling slaves. I want you to think for a, just, just envision with me for a second. If everyone had lived out that one command that's on the screen, if everyone had put that in their heart and said, I am not ever going to kidnap or steal someone or trade someone as a slave who's been kidnapped, what would that have changed? I mean, slavery and the slave trade, as it happened in America, would have been almost entirely eliminated by this one verse if people had just lived out that scripture. That, that is the potential impact of understanding and living out scripture, even living out one verse, one sentence like, do not steal. Imagine what a different nation and what a different history we would have if everyone had lived out that one sentence that's on the screen. You know, when, I, when I've been telling you in this series, a uh, biblical worldview is a better way. When I, when I tell you it has an impact to make us better and make our world better, there's a perfect example. That one verse, if lived out, would completely transform our nation's history and so much of what we still deal with. The kidnapping and slave trade, I know it's, that's not most of our problems. That's, that's not something that we're, we're dealing with. So let's, let's get down to a more practical level for, for us. 
the, the Ten Commandments, the, the theologians call it the Decalogue. There's several times in the Bible where the writer will expand on the Ten Commandments. And so we've got places like 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11, and Deuteronomy 5, 1 through 21, where they, they reaffirm the Ten Commandments and kind of explore what that all means. Another time that occurs is in Leviticus 19. And so today, I just want to, I just want to spend some time in Leviticus, in that, that one chapter, Leviticus 19, 1 through 17, because it talks quite a bit about do not steal. And I just want to show you the different trails that this, this leads us to, the, the, the ethic that this calls us to. So before it starts specifically talking about stealing, though, it's going to lay a foundation. So say, here's, here's what you need to understand about where we're going. Here's, here's what God wants to do with your heart. Before we get to stealing, here's where we're going. Here's what people who have a solid, whole heart for God, here's what they'll do. So Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your fields or gather the, greetings, the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am your God. See, what we're getting to is generosity. What God wants is not just people who don't steal. He wants people who are generous, who are looking for ways to use what he's given them to bless others. And so he tells his people, the Israelites, when you're in the, when you're in the promised land and when you're settled down on, on your farms and when you're working your property, when you harvest, don't go all the way to the edge. And when you've gone through once, don't send your people back through a second time to try to pick up what you missed the first time. Leave that for the poor. Leave that for the, the, the foreigners. Leave that for those who don't have. It starts with Generosity. It's not just people who, who don't steal, but people who are generous in every way. Because people who, who do that, people who are willing to just let the edges, to let the seconds go, those are the sort of people that God is trying to form. So he says again, Deuteronomy 24, 19, when you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you and all the works of your hands. There's a connection here. There's a relationship. If you're a generous person, if you understand God's heart, God's going to bless you even more because you are using what he has given you in a way that pleases him. And so in a, in a time when there was no safety social nets, so, you know, there's no the, the programs like that, this is how God's people... We're supposed to take care of those who were less fortunate. You leave the, the, the edges, you leave the seconds for those poorer folks who maybe don't own property, who maybe didn't, their harvest didn't come through and allow them to come and pick up. They're not stealing from you. You're giving to them. This wasn't a handout, though. That's one I want to point out. This, this wasn't a handout. Those folks had to go earned this. They worked for this. They went out and they picked this with their hands. So this was not a handout. And that's just, I think it's worth noting. In the biblical view, work is honorable. It gives people dignity. It's not unfair to expect people to work for a living, to work for what they get. Work is not evil or demeaning 
or something to be avoided. Adam and Eve, their, their instruction from God, their mission from God was you work the Garden of Eden. You take care of the Garden of Eden. So work is a, is a good thing. Work is, is virtuous in a biblical worldview. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12, Paul says, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. He's talking to the Christians in Thessalonica. The one who isn't willing to work shall not eat. That's how it works in God's house, in God's family. If you don't work, you don't eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food that they eat. There is honor in work. It's good for us. We need to work. We need to earn. And this, this, this is relevant to a discussion of stealing because, of course, people steal to get what they don't want to work for. It's, it's a shortcut. You're stealing the work of someone else who did the work to earn what they purchased, and then you are taking it from them. So you're stealing their stuff, and you're stealing their work. So when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he acknowledges there are folks in the church because he's talking to people in the church. There's some of you who are stealing, and we're not told exactly how this is happening, what form of stealing this is perhaps, but this is what he says because he openly acknowledges in this letter there are some of you listening to me as I write this letter to you as you sit in church who are stealing. He seems to imply, he says, you know, you, you know who you are. This is what he says to them. Anyone who has been, this is Ephesians 4.28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. And Paul could point them back to these two truths behind me. Because this is the God that you're worshiping in that church, he says. It's, it's God's stuff. And he'll provide for you. So stop stealing from the God you worship and trust him and he'll provide. Start working and be the sort of person who is as generous to others as the God you're worshiping has been to you. In the Old Testament, thieves had to make the victims whole. And it depended upon what they, what they stole, anywhere from 120% to 200% of the value of what they stole. That's what they were responsible for, for giving back to that person. And, and here's the part I want to emphasize, not only did they make their victims whole, they also had to make a sacrifice to God. Leviticus 6.2, if anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord, if you have messed up your relationship with the Lord by deceiving a neighbor about something entrusted to them or left in their care or about something stolen or if they cheat their neighbor. So to steal or to to, to cheat is to steal. It's it's a breach of not only your obligation, your relationship to your neighbor, it says here it's a breach of your, your faith in God. You're being unfaithful to the Lord when you cheat. Because what it says is, we don't trust God to provide. So we have to take it by force from somebody else. But when we steal from somebody else, whose stuff are we stealing? Well, it all belongs to God. When we steal, when we cheat, when we defraud, we are stealing from God. It all belongs to God. 
But here's something else I really hadn't thought about until I got into this. Even though it all belongs to God, the Bible is still, when it says do not steal, it's still upholding the value of private property. This is important in Scripture. The, the, the value, the virtue of, of private property, the sanctity of that is really important in Scripture. I mean, remember, what, what, what does God give the Israelites in the promised land? He gave each of them their allotment, their inheritance. It was important to God that each of those families had their own land, their own home. And there's all sorts of, of Mosaic law scriptures about you keep those boundary lines intact. You don't move those markers. And Exodus 22 lists these protections for private property. You know, don't steal livestock. Don't allow your stock to graze on someone else's pasture. Um, if you negligently destroy someone else's property, you, you make them whole. You pay for it. God wanted them to own property because that was beneficial to them and to their society. People take better care of property or a home when it's theirs, when they own it, when they can gain equity in it. They're, they're more motivated when they feel ownership of, of, a, of a business or if they have a personal investment in a success, an entrepreneurial spirit blesses others. We're not told anywhere in Scripture that we should not have private property. You, I, I don't think you can, from Scripture, convince me that we need to all live in communes or, or monasteries and have nothing for ourselves. And that's despite what I know it says in Acts. And I'll give you, I'll give you one of those verses you might be thinking about. Acts 4, 32 through 35. It says about the early church, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So they managed what they had for the good of everyone. It says they didn't count it as their own because they knew it was really God's, but it was still their property. They still owned it. And when they sold it and gave it to the, the church to, to benefit the poor or benefit the teachings in the church, they did that voluntarily. When they gave, they gave voluntarily. You know, Peter says that when, when Ananias and Sapphira, when that whole thing happened, Peter says to Ananias, the property that you, you sold, it was yours. The money that came to you afterwards, it was still yours. You could do with it as you wished. And so private property and the ability to gain more of it through work are biblical principles. And I think God gave us those because he knows the way he designed us we need those to flourish. And when we remove or discourage either of those, it always impacts society and individuals in a negative way. That's why communism always fails. It's because it, it tries to eliminate private property and it tries to dictate generosity. And that does not produce generous people. That does not motivate people to be better people. God's word. But God's word offers a better way now let's go back to Leviticus 19. It starts with generosity, and then it says don't steal. And then it's going to give us a couple of different forms of stealing. Leviticus 19.13, do not defraud or just flat out rob your neighbor. Or how about this one? Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. 
That's a form of stealing. Now you can, you can rob your neighbor by simply just taking his stuff, or you can rob him by cheating him. You steal from him when you don't pay him in a timely manner. Now this was at a time when many laborers were day laborers. They lived day to day. And they needed that coin at the end of the day to buy the food to get their families through one more day. And to withhold that was essentially stealing from them. We hear the same warning again here, Deuteronomy 24, 14. Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy. Whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns, pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry out to the Lord against you and you'll be guilty of sin. Like we said at the beginning, those, those relationships to God, to others, to, those relationships are connected. So how you treat others says a lot to them about your view of God or your relationship with God. Your generosity, your level of generosity, how generous you are in your heart reveals your God. People watch you and how generous you are, that tells them what sort of God you believe in. If you try to get the most out of people while giving them as little as possible, that's what you think God is like. That's probably because that's how you think God's treated you. Or if, if you're stingy and untrustworthy, it's because that's how you think God operates. What that says is you don't think that God can be trusted. He won't come through. He has not been good to you. And listen, you will not treat others better than you think God has treated you. So, if you are an owner, if you are a manager, if you are a supervisor, show your employees the goodness of your God. If you want them to know and love your God, the real God, what he's really like, show them who he is by how you provide for your employees, how you treat them, how you invest in them generously. Show them by your trustworthiness and your honesty. Christians should be the best employers. We, we should be the ones everybody wants to work for because they should encounter the goodness and the generosity of our God in our businesses. So show them how generous your God is how good he's been to you by being good to them. Okay, back to Leviticus 19. There's, there's one more thing that it says about, about stealing here. There's one more way that we can steal. And this is one that you may not have thought of either. Leviticus 19.15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. I would summarize that verse as don't steal justice. And this is another view that is counterculture. And it's another view that I think our world needs to hear. This is another way that I think a biblical worldview offers an antidote to where we're going wrong. Because did you notice? It said, do not be partial to the poor. That may surprise you. That may not sound very biblical. <laughs> that may not sound... I mean, that might strike us as, as wrong or unfair. Don't be partial to the poor. 
Because our culture is consumed with the idea of social justice, which is a good ideal. I'd be the first to say, yes, we should have a just society. But the world's approach to social justice often involves injustice. They think justice requires being partial to the poor, to compensating for all sorts of perceived discrimination and inequalities for the oppressed or the disadvantaged. And I understand where it's coming from. I understand the motivation to that, but there's a better way. Because what the world's trying to do is not the, the biblical way. Here's another passage that says the same thing about the, the biblical way. Exodus 23, 2 and 3. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. And here it is again. And do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. Now, there's a difference between helping the poor and disadvantaged, which we're told many times to do in Scripture. There's a difference between that and perverting justice. Biblical justice treats everyone the same, regardless as if, if they are poor or not. Biblical justice respects everyone enough to require them to stand on their own, to follow the same standards. Because when we lower moral expectations or legal accountability for some people simply because of their race or their economic status or whatever the category is, that demeans them, actually. That, that lowers them. And when we do that, we're stealing justice from someone else. The biblical commandment, do not steal, includes not stealing justice. And biblical justice is the same for everyone. It gives the same dignity to everyone. It truly is just for everyone. So again, Deuteronomy 1, 16 and 17. This is Moses talking. And I charge your judges at that time. Here's, here's how judges should operate in a biblical worldview. Hear the disputes between your people and judge fairly. Whether the case is between two Israelites or between an Israelite and a foreigner residing among you, do not show partiality in judging here both the small and the great alike. The role of a judge is to render justice to all, not to undo society's ills. Justifying theft or vandalism or rioting does not make us a more just society. The same respect for everyone, the same moral standards for everyone, that is justice. That is what calls us to be better. When we fail to enforce our own laws, we're going to devolve into the same corruption and anarchy that immigrants are trying to escape from elsewhere when they come here. It actually destroys the very justice it vainly is pursuing. The more we, we mandate equity, the more inequity usually results. It, it doesn't work to impose unfair restrictions or quotas to correct for past unfairness. All that does is perpetuate the unfairness and the resentment. But there's a better way. Plant the biblical wisdom of do not steal in people's hearts and let that ethic grow. Do not steal. Teach the biblical truths that it all belongs to God and he'll provide. He can be trusted. He is generous. And that will transform us into better, more joyful, more generous people who look out always for the welfare of others. 
who, who see through eyes of plenty, who are more joyful, who live justly and seek the good of their neighbor and can be counted on to be fair always, who are the best employers and employees, the ones everyone wants to work with or, or work for. It'll elevate us and everyone around us. The promise is, in Psalm 112, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. There's a better way. We have it. We have the most powerful secret to transforming hearts and making us better and making our world better. We already have it. Let's plant it in our hearts and let's live it. Thank you for being here. Let's stand and sing.